This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. This conversation is with Dan Flusky. Uh, Dan is the Head of Policy at the Institute of Fundraising uh, and a returning guest to the Giving Thought podcast, which puts him in a very small and elite band of people. Uh, And Dan and I caught up to talk about the impact that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the social distancing and social isolation measures that have been put in place have had on the fundraising world uh, and some of the challenges that it was presenting both uh, in the short term and potentially over the longer term. Um, I should warn that the audio quality on this one isn't brilliant, had some kind of issues with the connection uh, and using uh, Zoom to record. Um, I've done my best to to tidy it up and hopefully it is okay. Um, But, you know, if there are any problems, I can only apologise. So without further ado, here is Dan. Great. So I'm here with Dan Flusky, uh, Head of Policy at the IOF. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, Rod. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, it's great to have you. Um, yeah, basically, I just um, as I've been doing in lots of these conversations, I just wanted to get uh, a sense from you of how the, the coronavirus crisis has been affecting you and also kind of your members and, and fundraising as a whole so far. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd, 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 I'll start with kind of how it's affecting our, our members and, and, and the sector i guess um i mean i think as soon as um things like the social distancing measures came in and the subsequent uh postponing of large-scale events charities started getting very worried um of course and obviously i'm probably talking the main uh about charities in relation to their voluntary income and the amount of money they're raising um there's obviously huge elements of challenges and importance around services and individuals and beneficiaries and staff, which um, are arguably more important. But most of our members and the work we do is obviously around the voluntary income side. And I think we saw, as soon as the marathon was cancelled, that really was the kind of lightning rod of thinking, well, this is serious um, and this is not something which is just a kind of little bump in the road. Um, but it's probably the start of something which has actually turned out to probably be the biggest crisis, if you like, in charity, um, in the charity sector that we will have, uh, ever really known, um, to this extent. And the financial side of things in terms of voluntary income is really, really scary. Um, organizations kind of almost overnight having to wipe off uh, you know, big figures of what income they thought they could make through events, through public fundraising, through their charity shops, through a whole range of other activities. And obviously every time you're having to recalculate your income, you're thinking about the services, that that means that you can't run the research that you can't do, the beneficiaries you aren't going to be able to reach. Um, so it is a really tough time at the moment. And we um, had done some work with Charity Finance Group and NCBO trying to get an, an initial kind of estimate, if you like, around what the what charities were re-forecasting as a result of all this and the 
really kind of stark figures that came from that was essentially charities probably estimating uh, almost 50% was about 48% of voluntary income they were kind of having to wipe off their books for a year, which is a, a huge amount when you look at the amount of money that's raised in the sector every year. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, the challenge for a lot of those organisations is that it's is not necessarily money that they can they can recoup if it's an annual fundraising event and the fundraising's gone for that year they if they can survive through the short-term challenges they can do the event next year but that that was next year's money which seems you know uh, it's going to be very difficult yeah yeah no absolutely it's not just a matter of okay well we'll hold off on that and you know we can get that money later in the year um partly you've already paid for quite a lot of those events so you're going to potentially have to pay twice for something so your net return is going to be lower but you know charities in the main will have a whole program of events and activity and campaigns planned throughout the year so if you're having to put everything on hold you can't just kind of restart it all and then over the year say well we're going to make everything back but it's going to come three months later it can't just all be deferred lots of it is going to be lost you know especially from um, events that you know, you were planning on holding in the spring and the summer, you know, you're probably not going to be able to hold them kind of in the autumn and winter. Or if you are, then you're pushing other events out of the calendar as well. So, you know, we are looking at, you know, a, a serious um, crisis, if you like, in terms of voluntary income. And that's why we've been really vocal alongside others about saying, actually, this is something where the government needs to step in and provide the support that charities will need, both for responding to increasing demand in services right now, but so that when we get through this, the charities that we have relied on in the past, we're going to be able to be there to rely on in the future as well. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to kind of uh, give the impression that fundraisers aren't doing anything um, and that charities aren't doing anything in response. You know, we've seen some fantastic, innovative, creative, new campaigns get off the ground, emergency appeals launched, some really nice examples of support from uh, philanthropists, from grant funders, from corporate partners as well. There is stuff happening and there's going to be some great stuff that we see in terms of donations from the public, people being generous at this time and other people stepping up as well. The problem is the cliff edge that we've faced is so severe that even if some of those appeals and that new work is successful, it's not going to make up for the huge losses that we're likely to see. It will help to mitigate to some extent, but in no way can it kind of put us back on the kind of path that we thought we were going to be you know, six weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's important to to raise that that issue and the, the kind of reality that if people want to help those organisations to survive to the to the point where they are able to kind of uh do fundraising in the way that they were before then they are going to need short-term support and that is going to involve action uh from government um absolutely and and as you say it's kind of uh, giving from the public and philanthropists and trusts and foundations and others can certainly help and will have to be part of that that whole process but can't replace a network of sort of 50 or 60 charity shops for instance or a you know involvement in london marathon as in terms of fundraised income um in terms of what you're saying there about organizations you know are continuing to fundraise and i'm sure many are on the sort of positive action side what are you seeing from some of your members about how they are kind of 
trying to innovate in response to the fact that they're faced with this incredibly difficult different working environment where they're having to do everything remotely and digitally are there kind of examples where they're coming up with new ideas or where they're learning from others that have sort of done things in this way before yeah a bit of both i think i mean so obviously um there is a kind of uh element of necessity kind of uh bringing in innovations that maybe you wouldn't have thought about previously both in terms of ways that teams are working but also what they see as possible um so i think there's probably organizations that are maybe doing their first ever proper digital campaigns social media work in a way that they haven't done kind of before because they maybe would have done those as a nice add-on which was always complementary to a physical activity a physical fundraising event and whereas now it's actually with the digital side is going to have to be fundamental. It can't, it, it's not the complement, it is the thing. Um, so I think we're seeing people doing lots around um, digital fundraising, reaching out to supporters. I think it's actually a time like when quite a lot are going back to um, kind of maybe forms of communication engagement, which have maybe fallen off in terms of what might be thought of as you know, it's not new, it's not exciting, it's not shiny, but using the telephone has really come back into fashion, hasn't it? You know, whether that's team working or calling up supporters, talking to people on the phone, you know, giving your major donors a call, giving your supporters a call, talking about what they're doing, keeping in touch, I think has really kind of come back as well. So the key thing, I think, is to keep fundraising where you can obviously we can't do public fundraising where we can't do um you know physical fundraising events challenge events but we can do things virtually we can do things digitally we can email people we can call people obviously the caveat of having the right kind of um as long as you're doing that in the right way data protection and so on but we can contact people we can reconnect with supporters it's really important to keep asking um one of the things which kind of came up over the last week or so, which I've seen is a kind of, and is it actually okay to do fundraising at this time, given, you know, the kind of national crisis and emergency we're in? Is it okay? And absolutely it's okay. It's not just okay, but it's needed. Um, you know, charities are needed now in a way they haven't been needed before. We're going to be needed to get through the crisis. We're going to be needed when we get over the other side to help, um, individuals and communities respond to kind of the after effects of this as well both in terms of social and community stuff but also the economic impact that's going to come um following following the kind of health side of things and when when there's great need that's the time when we need to be asking we can't just go into our shelves we need to be out there talking to supporters and making that ask but we need to be sensitive about the way that we do that we can't just be you know you can't what would be wrong would just be saying well, we're going to go ahead with the campaigns that we had already planned and the wording of the campaigns that we already had planned. We need to be sensitive to that. We need to be phrasing things in a slightly different way to recognise that people are going to be receiving that at a time when they're also worried about their health, their jobs, you know, and the crisis that's going on. So it's about doing it sensitively. It's not about, you know, just kind of putting the, um, putting the blinds up and shutting up shop and not doing any activity because we are needed and charities are going to have to raise the money they can to be able to 
um, to support those individuals and communities that are needing that support right now and in the months ahead. Absolutely. And I mean, that definitely echoes something I've heard from others sort of making the point that um, the, the nature of this crisis might be different to, to many other crises in which you would look to to sort of charity or, or philanthropy, where you're often, there's a group of people affected by it and a group of people largely unaffected. And you're sort of asking the one to help the other, whereas actually, we're all affected by this to, to a greater or lesser extent. So you have to be very sensitive to that when you're asking people to help others. But I, but I guess also, we are also more aware of a sort of sense of collectivism and and mutuality maybe I think it's really interesting to see that coming through so I sort of I'll be interested to see whether fundraisers kind of adapt the way that they're talking to people about supporting during during this crisis along those kinds of lines of you know we're all in it but there are also some people who are being affected more than others. Absolutely I think that's right and everyone is affected but not everybody's affected equally Um, and uh, you know for some people this is a more a you know kind of an annoyance and frustration and inconvenience for other people they've lost their jobs they've lost their livelihoods they're having you know a whole range of other problems as well so we need to be absolutely sensitive to that um and you know i think we've seen with you know some of the appeals that have already happened the national emergency trust response um the response that we've had through not just the formal kind of volunteering side um, but the informal community civic side of things. I think we're seeing that level of kind of community spirit, that level of wanting to be particip- to participate with other people, with your communities, um, is you know, is something which is remarkable probably to some people who had who wouldn't really have thought about that previously. I think one of the things in fundraising and is obviously it's not just about the money it's about the connections to people to causes that feeling of being part of something that's bigger than you and about making change in the world and it's that connectivity i think which is going to be really key at the moment this isn't just about give us your money at the time of crisis this is about connecting people that engagement with something that's beyond your front door and i think working that through so that we get that spirit that continues after this crisis is really important because we've heard quite a lot um, about you know after this everything's going to be different politics is going to be different but economics is going to be different that we think about whose jobs are important in society is going to be different all of that but I don't think it's just going to happen automatically. It's going to happen because of organisations, including charities, changing the way that we engage with people, changing how we communicate with people and being that conduit to actually make some of that. Happen. So I think it's really important that in those fundraising campaigns, we stop engagement it is going to be about connecting you know you with people in the community yeah absolutely and i think it certainly goes something like it it seems as though the the rise of lots of kind of neighborhood groups and and sort of covid mutual network and people having individual crowdfunders and things shows that 
uh, both people want that sense of connection, but also there's a kind of premium on on a sense of participation. I mean, people want to feel like they're involved and in doing something. And I think, you know, this is something we've we've I know we've both sort of talked about before this this happened that that was a change already uh, sort of out there that one could identify. But it does seem as though it's going to be accelerated and it, it will change the way that that charities kind of engage with with or look to engage with their supporters in the future. Um, I just wanted to ask as well, kind of. In, in terms of, you know, we talked about the, the short term challenges lots of organisations are facing in terms of finances and fundraising. Do you do you think kind of when we come out the other side of this, you mentioned that people are sort of saying things will have changed. Do you think there are signs of of any longer term challenges that we need to start thinking about at the moment? Or, or do we just, you know, need to keep our focus on the immediate here and now? It's a tough question. But I think the, the scale of the problems at the moment are probably meaning that huge amount of kind of people's um, people's attention bandwidth capacity has to be focused on what's going to get us through the next few weeks um, or the next two months or however long this kind of immediate bit um, rises uh, is, 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 is in place because you know it's this this kind of cliff edge kind of immediate drop in income across the board is something which I don't think we would have been able to imagine before we might have been able to imagine, you know, a re kind of another 2008 financial impact. We might have been able to um, imagine another fundraising kind of uh, crisis, if you like, from 2015. I don't think we could have ever imagined almost everything going wrong all at the same time. Um, so I think that navigating through the first weeks is going to have to be the priority for so, so many. Um, the rebuilding the other side is going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's not going to rebound quickly, I don't think, because let's say when we get through the, um, when we get through the, uh, the coronavirus in terms of looking at it around keeping people safe and healthy, protecting people from harm. The wider economic side is going to take a longer time to get through as well. Some of the businesses that have gone bust, some people that have lost their jobs, people have reduced salaries, all of those kind of things. I don't think that's going to come back straight away. So there's probably a fancy economic term for it. Um, but in my head, I'm kind of seeing like a Nike tick, which is an immediate kind of drop, uh, an immediate cliff edge drop. And then a slow on recovery um, to get us somewhere back to where we have been. I can't see that this time next year we're going to be able to kind of sit back and think, well, that was really hard for a few months, but everything's okay now. I think it's probably going to more fundamentally change organisations, both in how they work, but also in terms of some of the fundraising activity that we do, both in the way that we engage and talk to supporters and to the public, but also things like, well, you know, kind of, if grant funders continue to have to step up, like they've been stepping up in the immediate time, how much money are they going to have this time, at this point next year? How much money will corporate partners have to be able to do kind of partnerships and corporate donations this time next year? So while some of those things are really good that they're happening now, it's, it's about managing this short-term thing that can't just be the basis for assuming that everything's going to be all right in 12 months' time. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, 
you're absolutely right. The scale of the challenges in the short term is is huge, and you know I wouldn't want to pretend that that every organisation is going to come through this unscathed because I you know I don't think anybody should imagine they're not. Um, but I mean, obviously acknowledging that the the immediate short term does look problematic and challenging. What what have you seen so far in terms of what your members are doing, or kind of more broadly across the sector, that gives you cause for hope and optimism about? Uh, you know, our ability to kind of come through this storm and, and hopefully come out the other side? Well, so, I mean, I think you've seen a huge amount of organisations um, trying to be nimble where they can, be flexible where they can, put in place new plans, thinking about their supporters and understanding really, right, if we're going to go out and reach out to our supporters now to make an extra ask, how do we do that in a way which is sensitive and appropriate to their situation? At the moment, and I think that stuff's really, really heartening to see that that kind of real thought and sensitivity is going into some of the fundraising campaigns. Um, I think we're seeing a huge amount of sharing and collaboration and cooperation that um, maybe some happened before, but I didn't see it in the same way. So whether that's at a kind of infrastructure membership body scale, so you know the work that we've been doing with other membership bodies around the, the uh, campaigns and championing um, the charity sector and calling on government support, whether that's people, um, you know, kind of saying on social media, look, I've got some time, my free hearts work's fallen through, I'm happy to go and kind of help and have a call and mentor people or give my time for free. People putting out kind of free templates and resources and guidance and advice, doing free webinars, doing all of those kind of virtual events and often, you know, for really low cost or free to help share that. And I think that's something to actually feel quite proud about the way that our charity sector and our fundraising community is coming together at this time of crisis. It's not dividing. It's not trying to be kind of cutthroat. It really is about trying to support people and I think that again is something that gives me hope for the future um, you know, uh, we're, we're talking actually kind of completely coincidentally on the day that the Institute of Fundraising became the Chartered Institute of Fundraising um, we, we obviously haven't had quite the same celebration that we maybe would have planned to have about that change but that element around uh, you know, what's important about the Chartered Institute isn't the name of the organisation it's recognising the level of professionalism that there is in our sector, the professional fundraisers, the, the knowledge, the skills, the values, behaviours that they put into their work every day that comes from you know, kind of learning and professional development. And that basis will give us the right foundation to be able to kind of get through this and to be able to succeed the other side because we know that fundraisers are hugely committed they're creative, they're collaborative, they're supportive. And it's that element which is why I think that there is some kind of light at the end of the tunnel because our professional world kind that will rebound and it's going to do everything that they can to the causes they work so hard for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I share that cause for optimism and, you know, belated congratulations on the chartered status. I forgot to say that. But um, listen, I won't take up any more of your time, Dan, because I know you're really busy at the moment. Just to say thanks ever so much for, for coming on the podcast and, and kind of sharing your, your thoughts and insights on what's been happening so far. Um, and certainly, you know, once we get out the uh, 
other side of this let's maybe uh catch up uh once the dust settle and, and see how things have panned out yeah absolutely thanks very much Rob.